welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality. I'm Sydney DeLorean, and I'm back with hashtag fan favorite Rob Love. How's it going, Rob? It's going good, Sydney. That's right. Hashtag fan favorite. Good to be back. Glad to be with you, Sydney. Here to talk with our beloved listeners about a very important topic. Um, all right. Before we get into it, I'm surprised you didn't say hashtag suck it, Scott McNulty, as you have declared oh, yeah. a war. <laughs> there we are currently engaged in a pod duel. Um, we are vying for uh, the rightful um, ownership of the term hashtag fan favorite. Scott, as you listen, as you probably heard in the last update, Scott is trying to usurp my authority and, um, I won't stand for it. I simply will not stand. Um, I've declared a pod duel. Um, the results are upcoming. We're, we're going to see how this works out. But uh, this might be one of the first um, of the episodes that, that counts towards that pod duel. Yeah, we are tracking how many listens your episodes get versus his episodes. And the winner will get a trophy. So also, I will take into account tweets. So you can tweet out. Uh, hashtag Scott McNulty or hashtag Rob Love hashtag fan favorite let me know who has won your heart I maybe will do an Instagram poll since we have more followers there than we have on Twitter um, so are we ready to get into this topic of GMOs we are ready let's do it so, okay, GMOs stands for genetically modified organisms. Is that correct? It is correct, yes. And that's what you studied in college. So you're kind of an expert. And um, you can maybe, we're going to get into the heart of what they are. Are we are we right to be afraid of them, et cetera. But, like, what is the definition of a GMO? Well, um, genetically modified organisms, technically, the technical definition is something that's been um, unnaturally, this is where it gets gray, because we've been, we've been genetically modifying organisms since um, plant breeding, since the first farmer decided to make corn um, from a two-inch little ear of corn to, to what we know today, where it's like this giant, delicious ear of corn. So we've been, we've been modifying organisms genetically for like thousands of years. Mm-hmm. It's just with modern technology, we're able to basically take a scalpel and go into the DNA of that organism and um, either remove or add specific genes that we want um, you know, the benefit of, I equate it to like typical, like plant breeding is more like shuffling a deck of cards. Yeah. Like selective breeding, right? Yeah. And you pick out the best of the best or whatever, and you breed the best of the best of the best. And so you end up over successive generations with this like better quality thing. But with modern technology, you can go through and um, select, you know, specific traits or whatever that you want and insert them right where they need to go and, like, forgo all those successive generations. You can just kind of, like, get it done surgically. 
and that's that's done so versus like selective breeding where it takes generations to see change and i think like a lot of people you know they know about dog breeding and how different species used to look one way but because they've been selectively bred for so long it's drastically altered the look of a the look and behavior of a dog over hundreds of years versus like modern gene editing is done using like CRISPR which uh, is fascinating and if you want to listen to any podcast about CRISPR that's insane but like that's what modern gene editing is right like and is that what's used when they do genetic modification on plants no, I think CRISPR is so new that, um, like, there isn't a lot, there aren't a lot of um, products um, of CRISPR out there yet, I don't okay. think. Okay. I think it's too, it's only in the past couple of years. But the, you know, sort of more traditional, if that's a weird word to say about genetic modification, but the, the more traditional versions of the technology um, have been around for since what the 80s or something um they they first started talking about like franken tomatoes you know somebody somebody introduced a gene into a tomato that made it um stay on the shelf longer or something like that but how did they do that like they didn't selectively breed it in they inserted it into the genetic code yeah and here's the difference that i'm not in a crispr expert um, but, um, like with the Franken tomato thing, I, I want to say, I think it was that one, but where they like introduced, they introduced, um, it might not have been the Franken tomato, but they introduced this like cold tolerance gene into, uh, I want to say a plant and it came from like a Pacific halibut fish mm-hmm. <laughs> that it was the gene that, um, coded for its like, um, they have this way of making their own antifreeze, sort of, uh-huh. so they can withstand cold better. And so they like took the gene from the halibut and put it in the tomato plant, and all of a sudden, the t- I think I'm getting all this wrong. <laughs> no, this <laughs> sounds very thing. right. This sounds correct. But this is this is the type of thing that you would get from um, you know more standard genetic modification. They, you can take a gene from any organism. Um, and put it into any other organism because basically all of our genes are the same. But the I think DNA works, they use yeah. like different delivery methods. Like there, I've seen things where they use because viruses insert themselves into your DNA, and so they've used a virus. Like they've taken a desirable gene out of something else, put it into a virus, and then they put the virus in the organism, and the organism replaces the defective. Or the virus replaces the defective gene in the organism with the good gene from the other thing because it has to have a delivery method to insert itself into the DNA. Or with yeah, with plants, are... do they edit it at the seed level before it become it before it becomes a plant? I you know what I'm saying? I guess I'm tr- I'm wondering how do they get it in there? How are they inseminating? Oh, just, with plants with plants it's nice because they, they have what's called pluripotency. Um, which means that one cell of a plant can become the entire organism. There's no what's called uh, differentiation. Okay. Um, oh, so, okay. So basically plant cells, every cell in a plant is like a stem cell. It can become anything else in that plant. Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, more like a stem cell. 
Yeah, whereas human cells, they kind of differentiate, and there's another word besides differentiate. Di- they, they, but they're, they're, it's, they're specific to what they, they are. Like, yeah, yeah, like a liver cell is a liver cell. Okay. Right. And what they found is that um, what determines what a cell is going to be is the nature of the cells that surround it. So if you took like a bone cell and put it a bunch around a bunch of liver cells, it might go, oh, I'm getting liver cell signals, I'll become a liver cell or whatever. Ah. And that's. That's sort of like the that's where stem cells are kind of like for animals. But as as we said with plants, it's sort of like they all of the cells are pluripotent. They can become anything. They're undifferentiated, or they they may be they may be differentiated, but they're not determined. Okay, that's the that's, that's the phrase. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. It's like why you gotta pick your friends because like you the. the your surroundings have an impact on you. So where you're, where the society that surrounds you is going to shape who you become. Um, don't hang out with the bad kids at school. Hang out with the nerds. Yeah, if, you, if you lay down with dogs, you'll come up with fleas. That's true. Um, although my mom also used to tell me when she would drop me off at junior high and I wouldn't want to get out of the car because kids were mean to me, she'd say, sometimes you got to run with the turkeys before you soar with the eagles. And I was like, whatever, <laughs> Deborah. Because um, here I am. That's not helpful. No, I'm 34 and I might still be running with the turkeys. Who's to say, really? <laughs> Mostly I'm running on a treadmill. Um, so, So the cells... So genetic modification in plants, as we think of it, kind of became, uh, started happening in, you said, the 80s? Yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. And at that time, it was sort of like, oh, let's transfer this gene um, that that confers some desirable trait um, into, you know, a target organism that we want to exhibit that trait. You know and, what I mean? And that came along with like the industrialization of farming because it used to be like you worked your own like smaller scale fields and then farming became industrialized. And so they're trying to get these massive crop yields and there's like all this like, um, you know, pesticides and shit. And they're like and, and crops like if there's a freeze, it's devastating this huge company and they're like but if we get this antifreeze fish gene in it then we you know won't have bad seasons because the weird thing is as a consumer you don't think about the fact that it you know uh, uh 50 years ago there would just be a bad year for tomatoes and you wouldn't be able to get tomatoes like or you could only get tomatoes then i'm picking a bad crop crop because those are kind of robust but like you would only be able to get things in season um or not at all for a year if there was like a bad year for that crop because now you walk into a grocery store you expect there to be all of the vegetables all of the fruits year round there's no like off season for things and part of that's like industrialized farming where they're like how can we make it so we can grow this shit all the time um and sometimes that involves fish genes yeah, well, I think part of that season-long availability of you know what were one time at one time seasonal crops is, is the shipping thing. There's, uh... there's a really good, there's a really good. I think it's Radiolab. It might be ninety-nine percent invisible podcast episode about um, the technology involved with like shipping food 
um, agricultural products in the modern age and how like they're able to climate control the you know the the three months journey that a banana takes to get from like um, you know uh, what Argentina or I don't know I guess further north than that but from the other side of the world you know we get like nectarines from Australia in winter time yeah <laughs> oh like, okay it. yeah so, so a lot of that has to do with that not so much the genetic engineering component but what has been done like um originally it was sort of like government agencies or like international non-government agencies like the you know imf or i don't know who, whoever um sort of like coming up with like a new form. There was a disease with papaya and all these papayas were um, succumbing to this fungal disease. And it was like devastating the economy of certain um, tropical nations that rely heavily, at least like these small farmers, subsistence farmers that relied on papaya uh -huh. um, for their income. So this one fungal disease was basically wiping it out, much like the, you know, the Irish potato famine, that similar kind of a uh, thing. And so they developed this, you know, f whatever resistant strain of papaya, and it worked out. And, um, you know, it kind of saved a lot of people's crops and whatnot. So it started out with, it seems like it all things advances in technology always start out with um like high hopes and optimism uh -huh. and then eventually money comes into play and then people like monsanto get involved and like <laughs> fuck everything up for everyone so that's basically the arc <laughs> yeah like remember when industrialization was gonna liberate the working class and like that didn't happen um right women were gonna get um a washer machine and then they were gonna have like four extra hours a day um that they didn't have to like wash clothes yeah and, and now um, we just we we had to join the workforce and now you have to have two people working 60 hours a week to survive um exactly yeah it's almost <laughs> like capitalism doesn't help people uh anyways papayas <laughs> wow wow Wow, that was Sydney. That was not me. That was not Rob Love. Oh well, I, I try to temper what I my opinions because number one, I think having evangelical thinking doesn't do anyone any uh sir like any good. Um, but uh, I just recorded an episode yesterday with um uh. A, a, a quote-unquote expert uh on sustainability and and that was a lot of me being like oh okay huh okay so yeah like we should just overthrow the government basically um but anyways <laughs> i am trying not to be a political person because i don't know enough about anything really to voice any opinion um but no, if you if you, you'll know i'm being tongue-in-cheek if you go to my twitter bio my tin tweet is um, something about killing all the bankers. Yeah, so that's how I knew we were going to be friends. <laughs> that's a good, that's actually a really good, like, um, new friend, will they, won't they, you know, like a weed out. That's mm -hmm. a good weed out introduction. Just like, hey, do you want to kill all the bankers? 
And if they're like, no, that's horrible. It's like, well, I guess we, we're not going to be friends. Or can you at least see the humor in this? Because um, it tests somebody's <laughs> ability to think outside of the matrix. Um, the official tweet The official tweet for, for those listening who've never seen it is, fun first date idea, colon, kill all the bankers. It's an eight-word tweet, very succinct, gets the point across, and it's so ridiculous, like... You can't actually do that, so it's obviously a joke. But the the sentiment behind it is real, and that's you know that's that's what comedy is. That that is what comedy is. Um, Comedy jokes, political commentary, political commentary with a little bit of biting wit, and you get your point across in an appetizing way. Yeah, uh, and just this full disclaimer. Um, the actual people, Sidney DeLorean and Rob Love, have no intention nor ability to kill anyone or overthrow any systems of control. Those are we're just two people saying words in character, um, and they're the actual people of those names have no uh, no bad intentions towards anyone. This might not even be us right now. It might not be. Um, yeah, I, I have my times where I think, I don't even know if Rob Love is his real name, but then they, uh, they introduce you that way when, uh, you send me those comedy sets that you do. And I'm like, okay, well, I think it might be his real name. Yeah. How could I possibly lie to two people the same, tell the same lie to two people? Well, yeah. See, I don't know. You're mysterious. I fucked up in, in that Sydney DeLorean is my legal name. And so uh, it uh, basically ensures that I'm never going to get any sort of governmental job uh, or, you know, any sort of job that they might do a Google search um, because the first thing that comes up when you look up my name is that is an article in the New Times that says Sydney DeLorean really loves penis. Um, so unless I'm applying for a job that involves uh, having a love of penis, um, it might affect my future employment. Um, so papayas. Papayas. There was also this thing called golden rice that they were touting for a long time. That was, um, they were going to introduce, I don't know where the gene came from, but they were going to put this gene to produce vitamin A into rice. It was was called golden rice because the vitamin A, of course, like gave the, the rice a sort of a yellow color. And um, it was supposed to counteract um, malnutrition in third world countries where a lot of people, a lot of children suffer from blindness as a result of um, vitamin A deficiency. So, you know, they, they, they touted this thing as, you know, oh, this is the way that genetic engineering can, you know, help um, impoverished people and make the world a better place. As it turns out in an article that I read, um, uh, just last week, <clears throat> apparently the the levels of vitamin A in the rice are like minuscule and like nowhere near um, like capable of supplying fulfilling the needs of vitamin A. Someone who's only eating rice. That the real issue is that these malnourished people aren't eating vegetables, and, <laughs> and that's what they should be eating. But that. The sort of the golden rice thing was almost more of a stunt. Yeah, like, it seems like a by. PR stunt because 
If they are, yeah. People who don't understand nutrition, if you say, oh, this person has a nutritional deficiency, like an idiot would go, let's just add that vitamin to the rice and then they'll be fine. And they don't understand that like vitamins and minerals all work in conjunction with each other. So it's not a, a matter of just like, you know, inserting the one like missing brick in the wall nutritionally. It's about like having a balance and that if you supplement one thing um, without having everything else in order, that supplementation can like be detrimental and dangerous. Um, so it sounds definitely like one of those PR stunts. Like it's it's the equivalent of Elon Musk being like, I'm going to make a one man submarine to get that kid out of the cave. And you're like, is this about engineering and helping people or is this about like making you seem good and altruistic? The Indian, uh, the Thai kids in the cave, um, yeah. I got to say, on, on the last, speaking of a pup date on a pup date, I know this is a hat on a hat, but um, you mentioned you like my last set the best. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got to say that that Thai cave kid joke that I made on that one open mic you got to give props. That was a good joke. I don't remember was... it. Was it well, something about how you wanted to have sex with those children? <laughs> no. It was the day <laughs> after. Okay, for the listener, I did a Thai cave joke, Thai cave kid rescue joke. It was the day after the Thai cave kid rescue happened. And the joke was... Uh, so they got those uh, kids out of that cave in Thailand, huh? That's pretty exciting. And everybody applauds, right? Uh, yeah. Today was their first day back at their jobs at the sneaker factory. <laughs> and no one liked that. Everybody, the place erupted. That joke killed. Oh, it did. But anyway. Okay. It did kill. People were ready yeah. to laugh. Oh, yes. The tension had been relieved. If the joke had been made the day before the last kid made it out, or had had it been made at the same time, but one of the kids didn't survive or something, that would not have been received well. But for my, you know, to my luck, um, every all the stars were in line. Um. One terrific punchline you can edit this out no no i'm gonna leave it because i'm gonna uh once again recommend shane moss's podcast here we are where uh as he's on the road as a comic he interviews academics at the universities and the cities he's performing and there was a really good episode probably a year ago about um humor and the theory of this psychologist was that the root of most humor is that it's a benign violation which your joke is a perfect example of because had those kids still been in the cave or died it would not have been funny but because they were safe the joke that you made was a benign violation and people were ready to laugh although they probably were going to work at a factory the next day which is sad (laughs) i do like i love shane moss i will say that openly i love the guy personally and as a comic i've seen him when he's performed at Tacoma every time he's come here. And I, the last time I did see him was that science um, um, performance where it's really cool. Like the, at this show, he had like UW scientists who were professors come up and they did like five minutes of stand up each. Oh, really? And then they said, yeah. 
and then they sat down and did like um you know like a sort of an interview just discussion kind of a thing about the subject and it was really cool so anyone who gets a chance go see shane moss's m-a-u-s-s um what's it called something science uh, yeah it's it like science like, rocks rock. but it's not stand up science no, stand up science there we go yes there we go so, okay, well, back to GMOs. I yes. forget where we left off. Um, oh, we were so about, uh, uh, the rice. Yeah, the uh, early days um, of GMOs and what we were being told they were good for, what was going to happen with them. And what's okay? Well, and then at that time, there was there's just and still to this day, it seems like there's this knee jerk reaction one way or the other um, when you hear the word GMOs, and it's either like oh, I'm scared of it, or like, oh, that might be good, you know? Yeah, um, people are very adamant in their thoughts on either side. People are like, oh, if foods with that are GMOs are super inflammatory, and that's why everyone has a autoimmune disease, because the GMOs are causing inflammation from these modified tomatoes or whatever. And then other people are like, GMOs are not any more dangerous than anything that was selectively bred. What the fuck are you talking about? You're an idiot. Anyone who's scared of GMOs is like an anti-vaxxer lunatic. Um, So inherently, GMOs are not dangerous to consume, if that's what you're worried about, as far as like um, an agricultural product that you're mm going to eat. Like if if you get that halibut gene um, in your tomato or whatever the, the hypothetical situation we proposed earlier, there is a chance. Now there is a chance that if you're allergic to fish or something, if there's such a thing as a fish allergy, I'm not sure. But if halibut could um, confer an allergen to the tomato, that someone who's not allergic to tomatoes but is allergic to fish mm-hmm. could possibly be made sick by, then that is um, an area of concern. In fact, there was recently a similar thing where they were going to make soybeans um, that were bred for feed, like uh, livestock feed, Um, and they were going to add something like a walnut gene to it or something like that um, to increase yield, essentially. Um, but then the, the question was proposed, well, what if um, on the off chance that uh, a human ingested this feed that's meant for livestock, like they grow livestock feed and, and feed meant for human consumption, feed, um, things meant for human consumption, like totally differently. It's not just the same thing. You know what I mean? Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Um, they're not just, they're not coming from the same field. There's field corn, yeah, there's feed corn, and then there's, like, corn on the cob corn. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, the same corn you eat at a barbecue is not the same corn that they're feeding to pigs or whatever. But anyway, they proposed this, you know, thing like, well, what if, what if a human who was allergic to tree nuts ate this corn, or this soy, these soybeans that were meant for livestock, and could there could they possibly you know get sick? And it came back that there there was an allergen um, in that soybean. You know there was like a tree nut allergen in the soybean. So they like abandoned the whole process. They're like, okay, well we're just gonna not create this GMO. We're mm-hmm. gonna start over with it. 
but the question is how many um, that seems they're not doing that with every time that they you know come up with a new GMO you know that was they happened to catch that one yeah so it's, it begs the question of well you know how many are getting by basically you know what what's out there that we don't know about so there is the possible um, you know you could you could introduce an allergen into a food crop that would make someone sick. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, um, more importantly, I think, are the ecological and economic impacts of GMOs. Because, you know, mostly, unless it's the allergen-type situation, if you eat, uh, let's say they put a, I don't know, a rice gene into a corn or whatever yeah like you're fine you can eat that and people eat dna all there there was a thing where it's like oh but if you eat such and such dna aren't isn't it going to turn you into such and such it's like well you eat um beef dna every time you eat a steak and you don't turn into a cow so to speak or you know you eat an apple and you're eating apple dna and your body just digests it yeah i can't the deal I can't tell you how much daddy DNA I've swallowed, and it hasn't put any hair on my chest. So I, I can ad- attest. A daddy. Yeah, no, not in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So the DNA you ingest from these GMOs is not going to become incorporated into your DNA because mm-hmm. you eat DNA all the time, and that's it's just protein. You digest it, much like your daddy DNA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... So that's one concern that can be laid to rest right away. I think that's the main knee-jerk concern that people seem to have about GMOs is like, oh, what's it going to do to my body? Um, and like nothing, so really. They're safety. They're pretty safe to eat. If it is, if you're just eating another organism's DNA, then yes. But what's become more prevalent is with um, companies like Monsanto, who's recently bought by Bayer. So now they're called Bayer, not Monsanto. But they're... Sweet rebrand. Rebrand, much like Blackwater turned into Halliburton, turned into whatever they are now. But yeah. Um, So the Roundup Ready Corn is one of their main products. And it's corn that is resistant to the Roundup um, pesticide glyphosate. Oh, so you can, okay. You can spray normally if you just took regular corn and sprayed it with Roundup, um, that corn would be dead as fuck. But this Roundup ready corn has this whatever resistance to it. So you can basically just blanket spray the entire crop with Roundup and kill all the weeds around it, which is great for the corn because it gets more nutrients and whatever water and all that kind of stuff but it also means that you're getting way more roundup residue on your corn um which as it turns out is like carcinogenic up until like a couple of years ago roundup was just like oh this shit's safe you could drink a cup of it and there would be like reps um sales reps at like um conferences conventions or whatever and they would like straight up drink a glass of roundup are you fucking kidding me was. no that was like a common that was a common thing um, Fuck. Like 10 years ago yeah they were like oh it's it's totally safe for humans 
and they actually would like there were stories of of like sales reps drinking a glass of the stuff to show how safe it was and now it turns out it's like pretty carcinogenic i guess I don't know. Motherfuckers are scared to drink out of a plastic cup because of BPA and people are chugging cups of round. Like, you don't have to be a smart person to know, like, this kills plants. I probably shouldn't put it in my mouth. Yeah, poison. Yeah. Poison. Jesus. Yeah. So, anyway, so I guess the table has turned on that. So, that's one bad use of, um, Genetic engineering is to increase the use of a pesticide that's harmful to mm-hmm. people, um, for one. There's also the thing also with Monsanto with, um, oh, and I think also with like the Roundup Ready Corn or something similar where um, if you, you're not able to collect the seeds from it. Oh, yeah, like you, a, you have to buy new seeds every year because... Yeah, they don't. It doesn't produce new seeds, and you can just reuse them. So you become beholden to Monsanto because instead of using your own seeds, you have to buy a new crop every year. And then the other thing is, I think when they're spraying the Roundup over the crops, I and I think I got this from the book that I'm reading right now. They um, it, because wind blows shit everywhere, right? And so if you farm anywhere near a farm where they're using Roundup ready corn and they're dumping pesticides on fields it's getting in your fields so you basically are forced to use roundup ready corn because you can't grow normal corn if your if your field isn't is in proximity to somebody who's dumping all those pesticides it fucks your shit up well the 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 main thing is first of all with the first part of it about saving seeds Mm -hmm. um some of the seeds are, you can save your own seeds and they're viable, but you're not allowed to because it's like a breach of intellectual property or something like that. And so they'll you, sue you? you to, so yeah, yes, exactly. So, you, and they have, they have done that. They've sued farmers for collecting seed and replanting their own seeds they collected because it was trademark roundup, you know, Monsanto property or whatever. So that's happened. But then as far as the other thing you're talking about, I think I think you're maybe talking about genetic drift, which is where if one field is the Roundup Ready GMO Monsanto corn and next to it is a field of traditional corn owned by a different farmer mm-hmm. who just happens to have you know a field that's next door, the pollen from the GMO corn can drift into the field of the traditional corn uh-huh. and that traditional corn, that traditional corn can form um, seed that has that GMO gene, that Roundup Ready Monsanto gene in it. And Monsanto has sued people, neighboring farmers, for their breach of intellectual property, whatever, because their corn that they grew on their own land happened to get some of their, uh, you know, Monsanto pollen on it. Which and is, so they're like suing, 
it's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely fucking insane. Like, the fact it, is, like, our food comes from the earth. It's the most natural thing in the world. And what you've done is made it impossible for people to engage with the earth in any sort of way that we're supposed to. And you've made it impossible for people to continue their family business making money off their land, which their families have done for generations. They can no longer do that unless they buy your product, which is... I think it's like Monsanto seeds are four times the cost of any other seeds. And you have to buy their seeds every year because you you more or less can't grow crops without them because you could even accidentally have your field uh, inseminating with them, which is like that's a monopoly on on the earth. Like that's a monopoly on farm. Like you have everyone is it's not is it. I mean, that's not, that's like a, it's an oligarchy, right? Am I using words right? Like. <laughs> well, there is, there is some um, ethical questions around um, trademarking a life form. You know, that's basically what um, Monsanto's doing there with, you know, their Roundup Ready line of products or whatever. They're, you know, it's, yeah. it's a life form. But because they added one, you know, protein to it or whatever, they can they can trademark it. So uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's a sticky. It's basically what it comes down to is like any technology. Take fire, for example. Uh-huh. It can be used for good. It can be used for good or for evil. You know, um, don't be afraid of fire when you're at a barbecue cooking food, but you know, if there's an arsonist around, then you should be afraid of fire. So it really, it really comes down to how the technology is used. Well, and it's in, it's in the hands of like the most, one of the most evil capitalist corporations there is on the planet. So obviously the technology is not being used for good. Um, uh, I just want to say that Sydney's views on capitalism are Sydney's and I am pro-capitalist. I mean, I enga- I'm in I'm engaged in that economic system because I don't really have a choice. Um, but uh, at some point in my life, I will hopefully completely opt out of it, and I will be living in a rainforest, taking psychedelic drugs regularly, and um, you know, just eating plants from the earth. Uh, one day. So um, another article that I read, it was a recent article, was actually pretty cool about, um, have you you heard of antibiotic resistance? Yes. In bacteria? Yeah. Yes. So that's becoming more and more of a problem. Uh, More and more infectious bacteria are becoming resistant to the drugs that are commonly used to treat them, and they're becoming resistant at a rate that's faster than the rate that we're coming out with new drugs to, you know, to combat them, essentially. Yeah, and I think we're generally, it's like being blamed. They're like, you need to finish all of your antibiotics when you're giving given a script, because if you don't, you're causing antibiotic resistance, which you should, if you are given a prescription for antibiotics, you should finish the entire course of your medication, 100%. However, um, I... I don't think it's individual humans who are, are uh, at the main fault for antibiotic resistance because it's the antibiotics that are being used in food production, correct? Oh, yeah. Antibiotics are used in especially livestock production because, well, they say it's to prevent infection 
um, in the animals, but uh, a, a fun uh, byproduct of antibiotic use in livestock is that, that it causes weight gain. So if you pump a cow full of antibiotics a couple of weeks before or the, its whole life, maybe, um, you know, by the time it goes to market and gets put on the scale, because uh-huh. of course everything's sold, sold by weight, it's going to weigh more. Um, oh. Yeah, so antibiotics are basically just blanket used um, in especially livestock um, so they agriculture. C- they can keep it's them in squalid conditions and fatten them up. It both it's a it's a it's a double threat. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a two two sided weapon. It actually does uh, you know help I guess in the short term with all those diseases that are caused by their horrible living conditions but also it it also fattens them up so they get more more money at market yeah but um but but that's not what you were going to say that was just me ranting and i apologize it's the heat rob it's the heat i just i'm i'm out of i'm i'm just all worked up for nothing oh my gosh i'm not to make you jealous but i'm gonna it is about 60 degrees outside right Oh. Very comfortable. 65. Oh. I'm going to say 65. We're in the hundreds. We're in the hundreds. Yikes. Um, yeah. But this article this article I read lately was about um, this fascinating subject that I've known about for like 20 years or more um, called uh, bacteriophage therapy for um, bacterial infections. Uh-huh. A bacteriophage is a virus. It's a virus that has evolved to feed on bacteria. Now, there are viruses, bacteriophages that we know of that um, attack bacteria that cause infections in humans. Uh-huh. And those are, of, those are of, you know, a special, you know, importance for us. And the sort of the practice of bacteriophage therapy for bacterial infections has been, um, they were working on it in the uh, Georgia, you know, the Russian state of Georgia. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. The, the, former, the former Soviet Republic that is now known, known as Georgia, whatever. Um, they were working on bacteriophage therapy like since the 80s there. And they would take... Um, they would find, like, in samples of essentially, like, sewage and stuff, they would find these, um, they would isolate these viruses that would basically kill a Petri dish full of, of you know, fill-in-the-blank bacteria. They were oh. just testing all these different things. So they would just, like, okay, salmonella or name this other human pathogen or whatever, and they would grow that out on a Petri dish. And they would put, you know, a little drop of this, like, sewage-tainted water on the Petri dish. And uh, if the all the bacteria died, they knew they had something, right? Yeah. So um, that sort of study has been in, ongoing for, you know, decades. And just recently there was a case in, in um, the U.K. of a teenage girl that had some kind of, I forget what her condition was, 
but she required like a transplant. It was like a an organ transplant, but she acquired this like um, super strain of bacteria infection that was had invaded her liver, her lungs, like all through her body. And um, in most cases, such as hers, the patient would die within days or whatever. But they um, found this bacteriophage that had been like genetically engineered apparently somehow anyway what, <laughs> but, they what, uh, they just it, happened upon it they contacted a, um, a a university in the United States that was doing work on that sort of thing like basically what I talked about where you put a dropper full of random virus into random bacteria and see if it kills it. Um, they'd been doing that with all these different um, viruses that they had um, um, sort of identified over the years. And they were able to, so they, the, the people in the UK contacted the people in the United States at the college and the people at the college said, okay, well, let me, let's look for, you know, something that might work. And they sent them back three different samples of a bacteriophage virus, you know, three different bacteriophages that um, they thought might help. And they started administering um, this virus to this um, teenage patient in the UK who was suffering from these horrible uh, yeah, systemic infections. And um, pretty quickly started to see a benefit. And um, she's still alive, you know, it's like weeks or months later. She's still um, taking the, the virus as a therapy, but it seems to be working. And um, she kind of like beat the odds because of this thing. Whoa. So, yeah. So bacteriophage therapy is kind of a fun avenue to explore. I think that's something that Western medicine has maybe kind of ignored for a while but it might be it might be coming back because the antibiotic resistance thing is um is a huge is a problem yeah it's a huge problem yeah so anyway um but that that maybe slightly was tangentially off of the gmo discussion i just i in that article i read they mentioned that the viruses had been genetically modified somehow and i'm not sure how they did that how they did it, but um, but that was one promising use of GMOs. Um, to is in help. medicine. Is in medicine, yes. And in fact, that's sort of why I picked. See, I was um, as you alluded to before. I was a a major in. I was accepted into the major of cell and molecular biology at Western Washington University way back in the year 2000 and uh, went there for one year and did like had some cool classes. I learned genetics. I loved that class. There was some other cool stuff, cell biology, all that stuff. But the reason I decided on that major was I kind of thought I had heard about using um, like genetic modification to like you can take a yeast cell and insert a human gene for like say insulin production mm -hmm. into the yeast cell 
And then you can um, basically farm these GMO yeasts to produce insulin. And there you go. You can, you know, provide insulin to diabetics and all you have to sacrifice is yeast. I think in the past you had to get insulin from like... It comes from cows, I think. Yeah, you had to like extract it from from (laughs) cows, which is kind of gruesome, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be better if it was just from yeast? Yeah, absolutely. So I, thought that was, that, I thought that was kind of a cool thing to um, explore and had a lot of possibilities. Um, you know, there's a lot of potential to, like, help humankind. So yeah, GMOs but aren't that, inherently dangerous in the to the consumer in terms of like, they aren't dangerous to eat. They have a lot of medicinal, um, uh, potential, but where they are bad is for the environment and perhaps for industries. Yeah. I think the techno, the technology has the, I mean, yeah, the potential to be exploited by people with money to make more money. And that seems to be money drives everything. (laughs) <laughs> in our world so uh which i love capitalism and we, I'm all for. we hear love and support capitalism at the sex drugs and spirituality podcast i'm sorry for any sort of uh statements that i made to the contrary i blame the heat it's got me hot and bothered um so we do support and praise our lord and savior capitalism however if anyone wants to fuck around with uh, urban homesteading, that is also an opportunity for you to disengage from the capitalist system. Um, if you were into that sort of thing, which we here obviously are not. No, no, no. Um, love capitalism. Uh, so yeah, genetic GMOs in and of themselves are not evil, but the way that they're used, just like any technology can be used, can be used for evil. So yeah. I would say don't have the knee-jerk reaction. Maybe look a little further. Maybe it's, I don't know, it could be beneficial in the right hands. But it seems like with most technology these days, it ends up in the wrong hands. Yeah, I so, need to look into, like, Bill Nye recently did a tour of Monsanto facilities and came out saying, like, I really i am for GMOs, but I haven't... Oh, right. I haven't heard what he had to say about that experience, so I am curious. Um, I've actually heard anecdotally of other um, Monsanto employees who were like, you know, most of the stuff they're doing is actually pretty good. You know, they get a bad rap for a couple of, you know, a couple examples, but, you know. But they're a huge company that do a lot of, I know, like, scientists really like working for them because they have so many opportunities there that they wouldn't have in a smaller lab, and they have more funding. So, like, scientists will be like, man, this is, like, a really good opportunity to pursue my research in this very specific thing but then i have to tell people i work for monsanto and that's going to be a problem and that's yeah and that's where the money is coming from to pay for the you know the potentially rewarding thing for humankind is it's all blood money coming from all the uh you know the roundup ready corn and whatnot so they're like they're making their most of their money in a bad way to pay for some of the research that might do a good thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if like it balances out in the long run. 
Yeah, I don't know. But um, I'm now no longer... Well, I wasn't really scared to eat GMO foods. Anyways, I might start washing my vegetables. Everyone knows here I don't... I only wash produce when I cook for other people, when I cook for myself. I do not wash my produce. Oh, no. No, Sydney. What? You have to wash it. You I, have to wash it. I'm go. I'll start. I just... I'm lazy. It's not it's not about farting. It's that okay. Unless you're buying like um high end organic produce. Um which I am not harvested harvested by by workers who are treated well and given access to places to use the restroom and then wash their hands afterwards, uh-huh. which you are not, uh-huh. sounds like. These people are, um, they're using the restroom. In the fields. Throughout the day. In the field. And then they're not washing their hands. And then they're picking your spinach. I'm like less bothered by that than I am from pesticides. So like the idea of dirty hands uh, touching my spinach doesn't really bother me. Um, but I, I also you buy it. I, well, yeah, I understand, but, uh, I don't know why I'm not scared of that, but, uh, I don't want to eat a bunch of pesticide covered stuff. So I will start washing my vegetables. I will report back on a pup date if I've been better about washing vegetables before eating them. Um, who's to say I could turn it all around right here, right now. I say go with it. No, stick to your horses. Yeah, stick to your guns. Just Do you, because you want me to die, don't you? And you can take over the no, show. No, I want you to be the. I want you to be the canary in the coal mine. Oh, this okay. It's gonna be great. Yeah, this is gonna be entertaining. Yeah. So do it for the show. Mm-hmm. I do yeah. everything. I do is for the show, and I do it for the listeners because I love you. And that makes you hashtag, what's your hashtag? Well, I'm not fan favorite because that's you. Um, Currently. Currently, currently. Um, We'll come up with a hashtag for me. Um, I mean, I am the showrunner. I am the executive producer, star, and showrunner of this podcast. So it's... It's, uh, it's the credits, the opening credits where this a film would be really long because you'd have to just keep saying a job title and then having my name after it. It would be very drawn out. Hashtag pod queen. There we go. Pod queen. Um, we could do a, you could do an Instagram poll. You seem to like Instagram. I I don't understand it. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I've taken to it as much as, uh, social media in general makes me feel diseased. Um, yeah, uh, Zach also says that I, um, have, uh, I might be the fart mistress and not, uh, Tom Segura's mom because, so I'm- There's no way. Nope. There's no way. There's you need to provide proof of that because I've heard that tape and um, there's no way. There's no way, Sydney. I'm going to view the tape and I'm going to see if I can outshine it. But Zach says I give her a run for her money. So, uh, yeah, he, he's taken to calling me his fart mistress. Because uh, love is alive okay. and well here in Glendale, Arizona. Yeah, good times. Mm-hmm. I guess 
on that. Are we done? Should we just end on that? Note? Yeah, That's we're good we're one. good. Yeah, we hit an hour. So yeah, um, GMOs. Uh, you know, be wary, but don't just be you know knee jerk reactionary. They're not all bad. They're not all bad. The more money involved, the worse they are. Yeah, that's that's true yeah. for everything. Um, so happy hump day, everyone. Happy hump day.